Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. So today we continue with Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery, Chapter 22. Anne is invited out to tea. Ooh, tea. Tea. Cue the music. So, we are recording not long after our last session. Yes. Um, I'm still giddy off of watching cats. Mm, and I am still vowing not to, to avoid cats until there's a situation where I can't avoid it. Like if I was trapped on an airplane and that was the only thing to see and I couldn't fall asleep. You know, Kenneth and I were talking about like a group watch, you yep. know, when everyone's together... I, I'll, I'll be the one who's fallen asleep on the couch because I just don't want to deal with it. Well, you know, because we've been trying to get Holmes and Watson to happen for a while. <laughs> no. No. Uh-uh. Putting down my, my foot in in a no. I, I can't do it. I will try one day, but only when I have to. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. You really have no idea. <laughs> Psychedelic dreams of Tom Hooper and uh, what's his name? Andrew Lloyd Webber, or sorry, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Lloyd. Lloyd. Double L's. Huh. Don't ask. It's it's it's. You know, Welsh. I've always just had a double L as an L. Yeah, it's apparently not. It's a chl. Because like I've heard people called Lloyd before. Yes. So it's supposed to be Lloyd. Well, no, I don't know if the, if Lloyd and Cloyd are the same. I have not looked into the etymology of the name Cloyd. But but it's Lloyd. spelled with the double L. Yeah, the double L is a chl. I like the double L in well, Spanish because that's a Y sound. Yeah. Well, so it'd be Android weather. Interesting. Sorry, we just sidetracked. But words are good. Uh, That's why we're here. Yes. Oh, so there's been a major explosion in. Um, it's been like two or three debates on book Twitter. Book Twitter. Book Twitter. Here's the thing. There's no no every every subgenre. There is a Twitter. There's a Twitter, but book Twitter had a couple of rumblings. You had you had um, a couple of rumblings with. I think the Romance Writers of America. There's been some less than ethical conduct, and it hasn't been condoned, and it's just it's caused a major tidal wave of response. But what was also going on is that someone went, look, you can't um, dismiss uh, again juvenile uh, literature for young adults and and youth, modern literature for young adults and youth. Some of it might feel like it's not. Uh, so there's a debate: is it actually promotion of social change or not? Ah, because a lot of the popular uh, young adult fiction of the last 10 to 15 years has been dystopia. Dystopia and survival. I mean, if you look at it, generally speaking, they're either in a happy, constructive, but a lot of them are problem solving. When when I was a teenager, I was given the Tomorrow When the War Began saga by an Australian author whose name I forget it's okay his name can remain forgotten but but For yeah that that the whole premise of that book is this group of teenagers goes camping in the woods well in the bush and when they're out there um the an unnamed asian army wants to take over australia yeah, it's 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 typical general fears but yeah the idea of this this you know uh survival against all the odds and resilience and do like rising up to the challenge it's a common theme in young adult books. I mean, even in this one with Anne, it's it's much more subtle and yes. it's a much gentler thing and it's much more like our everyday scrapes. Well, look, it didn't start subtle. I mean, she's an orphan worried she's not going to have a family. Yeah, it, yes. And and you get these uh, these moments where you can kind of go, I relate to challenge. And I think the question comes up, I mean, I'm completely not discussing the topic that came up, which was online, which was a huge... So it's a bit of a barn burner. Yeah. So yes, either way, there's a big debate that's been going on. And one of the... we I'd say we reiterate the fact that children's and adolescent literature is there to build up concepts and be relatable to us so that we become enthusiastic about reading. 
Um, and then when you're older, it can even be a safe space for you to visit, revisit an old favorite that you enjoyed when you were growing up. Precisely. And I mean, it, it's silly to try and compare like to highbrow and go, oh, but it is not as good as Logan's Run or 1984. Or, like, you know, that, those kind of... Logan's Run. Yeah, I love you went there as an example. But like, it's, it's just not as challenging as Dostoevsky and what are you yes, yes. guys just chill books have different purposes different functions some are simple entertainment some are encouraging and it, there to it's some are little commentaries on just um everyday everyday life yeah the struggles of uh, putting anodyne liniment in a cake <laughs> that is a hilarious mistake so last week and Almost poisoned. <laughs> no. Or or maybe made the cake extra good. Yeah, it depends on which type <laughs> it is. Well, this one is one that you can ingest. So apparently it's safe to ingest. Although we also used to give people pure mercury as a treatment for certain conditions. So let's just... Mm. And, and, and there's also, I think, that um, subtext of, you know, the things that are good for you don't always taste good like you know i don't know if it's still a practice but i remember when i was young the giving children cod liver oil it at least be. in in literature it can be it can still be a thing but yes certain things can be unpleasant and um which yeah. you know i never really thought about it too much but those two words in it cod liver yeah <laughs> that should be an indicator this is not going to be pleasant um but yes so today on a happier note no, Although, co no cod liver? No cod liver, no anodyne, hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, um, but we are, so Anne is invited out to tea, and the first sentence of the chapter is really standing out to me. Okay. And what are your eyes popping out of your head about now, asked Marilla, when Anne had just come in from a run to the post office. Have you discovered another kindred spirit? <laughs> Excitement hung around Anne like a garment, shone in her eyes, kindled in every feature. She had come dancing up the lane like a, wind, like a wind-blown sprite through the mellow sunshine and lazy shadows of the August evening. So it's August. We just had June. Mm. Yeah. So time. Time, time skips are happening more frequently in the book. Yeah. No, Marilla, but oh, what do you think? I'm invited to tea at the manse tomorrow afternoon. Mrs. Allen left the letter for me in the post office. Just look at it, Marilla. Miss Anne Shirley, Green Gables. That is the first time I was ever called Miss. Such a thrill as it gave me. I shall cherish it forever among my choicest treasures. Mrs. Allen told me she meant to have all the members of her Sunday school class to tea in turn, said Marilla, regarding the wonderful event very coolly. You needn't get in such a fever over it. Do learn to take things calmly, child. <laughs> For Anne, to take things calmly would have been to change her nature. All spirit and fire and dew as she was, the pleasures and pains of life came to her with troubled intensity. So with the... I would like to know what poem that's from. What the spirit and yeah. fire and dew? All spirit and fire and dew. That sounds like... Well, a, let me do a search. It sounds like Woodworth or like, you know, one... Oh. Tennyson, maybe. Uh, I my the way timing is. I don't know the timing of when things are. Spirit and fire and dew. Maybe. Well, they're quoting Anna Green Gables. Hmm. Quote by Browning. Ah, oh, that explains that. Just to say. Oh yeah, the good stars met in your horoscope made you of spirit and fire and dew by Browning. Hmm. It's her character. For Anne to take things calmly would have been to change her nature, all, the, all spirit and fire and dew as she was. The pleasures and pains of life came to her with troubled intensity. Marilla felt this and was vaguely troubled over it, realizing that the ups and downs of existence would probably bear hardly on this impulsive soul, and not sufficiently understanding that the equally great capacity for delight might more than compensate. Ah, uh, so she really just... Yeah, she just feels that the heartbreak's going to be too much, and she doesn't really think about how the 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 joys of life will yeah. compensate for it. Yeah, she. I mean, she's right to worry because she's this is someone again who's had a bit of a painful history. But though, I mean, we weren't we weren't there with Anne when all this terrible 
stuff in her past happened, but when she talks about it, she's able to be grateful and level-headed regarding it. But yeah. but I do have to wonder, at the time, it probably was. Well, some of what she was saying, you can tell that she's kind of just kind of compartmentalized, or to put it, it's really hard to try and gauge. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, so there, this explains Marilla in a minute. Therefore, Marilla conceived it to be her duty to drill Anne into a tranquil uniformity of disposition as impossible and alien to her as to a dancing sunbeam in one of the brook shallows. She did not make much headway, and she sorrowfully admitted to herself. The downfall of some dear hope or plan plunged Anne into deeps of affliction. The fulfillment thereof exalted her to dizzy realms of delight. Marilla had almost begun to despair of ever fashioning this waif of the world into her model little girl of demure manners and prim deportment. Neither would she have believed that she really liked Anne much better as she was. Anne went to bed that night, speechless with misery, because Matthew had said the wind was round northeast and he feared it would be a rainy day tomorrow. The rustle of the poplar leaves about the house worried her. It sounded so like pattering raindrops and the full, faraway roar of the gulf, to which she listened delightedly at other times, loving its strange, sonorous, haunting rhythm, now seemed like a prophecy of storm and disaster to a small maiden who particularly wanted a fine day. Anne thought that the morning would never come. But all things have an end, even nights before the day on which you were invited to take tea at the manse. It's interesting how an everyday, well not everyday, but like a, a simple thing like that is described from her point of view so well. Like you really get the sense of, oh sh- just the weather, like it's so no, the weather. The morning, in spite of Matthew's predictions, was fine, and Anne's spirits soared to their highest. Oh, Marilla, there is something in me today that makes me just love everybody I see, she exclaimed as she washed the breakfast dishes. You wouldn't know how good I feel. Wouldn't it be nice if it could last? I believe I could be a model child if I was just invited out to tea every day. <laughs> But, oh, Marilla, it's a solemn occasion, too. I feel so anxious. What if I shouldn't behave properly? You know I have never had tea at a manse before, and I'm not sure I know all the rules of etiquette, although I've been studying the rules given in the etiquette department of the family herald ever since I came here. I'm so afraid I'll do something silly or forget to do something I should do. Would it be good manners to take a second helping of anything if you wanted to very much? The trouble with you, Anne, is that you're thinking too much about yourself. You should just think of Mrs. Allen and what would be the nicest and most agreeable to her, said Marilla, hitting for once in her life on a very sound and pithy piece of advice. Anne instantly realized this. You are right, Marilla. I'll try not to think about myself at all. Anne evidently got through her visit without any serious breach of etiquette, for she came home through the twilight under a great high-sprung sky gloried over with trails of saffron and rosy cloud in a beatified state of mind, and told Marilla all about it happily, sitting on the big red sandstone slab at the kitchen door with her tired curly head in Marilla's gingham lap. A cool wind was blowing down over the long harvest field from the rims of furry western hills and whistling through the poplars. One clear star hung over the orchard, and the fireflies were flitting over in Lover's Lane, in and out among the ferns, and rustling boughs. Anne watched them as she talked, and somehow felt that wind and stars and fireflies were all tangled up together into something unutterably sweet and enchanting. Interesting how everything becomes very harmonious in the way, yeah. It's also weird that story-wise... We're not seeing the tea play out in real time. We're now listening to Anne recount. I think think the point is maybe this chapter, it's about Anne and her emotional response to high highs and low lows. and But that something is happening. Like she's slowly transitioning into some someone further. She's evolving further. Hmm. Oh, Marilla, I've had a most fascinating time. 
I feel I have not lived in vain and shall always feel like that, even if I should never be invited to tea at the manse again. When I got there, Mrs. Allen met me at the door. She was dressed in the sweetest dress of pale pink organdy, with dozens of frills and elbow sleeves, and she looked just like a seraph. I really think I'd like to be a minister's wife when I grow up, Marilla. A minister mightn't mind my red hair because he wouldn't be thinking of such worldly things. But then, of course, one would have to be naturally good, and I'll never be that, <laughs> so I suppose there's no use in thinking about it. Some people are naturally good, you know, and others are not. See, that's that's the, I think, the trauma of the red hair and the fact that she makes mistakes kicking in. I'm one of the others, Mrs. Lynde says. I'm full of original sin. No matter how hard I try to be as good, I can never make such a success of it as those who are naturally good. It is a good deal like geometry, I expect. But don't you think the trying so hard ought to count for something? Mrs. Allen is one of the naturally good people. I love her passionately. You know, there are some people like Matthew and Mrs. Allen that you can love right off without any trouble. And there are others, like Mrs. Lynde, that you have to try very hard to love. You know you ought to love them, because they know so much and are such active workers in the church. But you have to keep reminding yourself of it all the time, or else you forget. <laughs> Sorry. It's like, <laughs> Mrs. Lynde. There was another little girl at the manse to tea from the White Sands Sunday School. Her name was Laurette Bradley, and she was a very nice little girl. Not exactly a kindred spirit, you know, but still very nice. We had an elegant tea, and I think I kept all the rules of etiquette pretty well. After tea, Mrs. Allen played and sang, and she got Loretta and me to sing too. Mrs. Allen says I have a good voice, and she says I must sing in the Sunday school choir after this. You can't think how I was thrilled at the mere thought. I've longed to sing in the Sunday school choir as Diana does, but I feared it was an honor I could never aspire to. Loretta had to go home early because there's a big concert in the White Sands Hotel tonight and her sister's to recite at it. Loretta says that the Americans at the hotel give a concert every fortnight in aid of the Charlottetown Hospital and they ask lots of the White Sands people to recite. Loretta said she expected to be asked herself some day. I just gazed at her in awe. After she had gone, Mrs. Allen and I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk. I told her everything about Mrs. Thomas and the twins and Katie Maurice and Violetta and coming to Green Gables and my troubles over geometry. And would you believe it, Marilla? Mrs. Allen told me she was a dunce at geometry too. You don't know how that encouraged me. Mrs. Lynde came to the manse just before I left. And what do you think, Marilla? The trustees have hired a new teacher and it's a lady. Her name is Miss Muriel Stacy. Isn't that a romantic name? Mrs. Lynn says they've never had a female teacher in Avonlea before, and she thinks it's a dangerous innovation. <laughs> but I think it will be splendid to have a lady teacher, and I really don't see how I'm going to live through the two weeks before school begins. I'm so impatient to see her. <laughs> that was kind of lovely. Oh, boy. She's so funny. She's, she's just full of life. I think that's that's what it is. It's just vivacious and I don't know. It's hard to express really in this case because she's, that you you didn't you we didn't have to witness it from a th that third party perspective. We could actually her sharing it was nice mm. for a change. That actually might be part of it is that she's changing the pace because it's like scrape solution scrape solution. It's like yeah, yeah. I I did remark. Um a few chapters ago how it start it was starting to feel like a sitcom how you know there there's a there's something funny that happens a, a problem a solution presents itself and then everything kind of resets yeah well in this case it's like building it's like layers of an onion i guess or parfait sorry back reference um shall we continue yep okay so chapter 23 Anne comes to grief in an affair of honor Oh dear, that sounds ominous. This sounds like a, a, a Gilbert situation. Does this sound like a Gilbert situation? I wasn't thinking of that, but yeah, it could very much well. It might. Yeah. I don't know. It might. It might not. It might. I can't tell. I can't remember at this point in time. Anne had to live through more than two weeks as it happened. Almost a month 
having elapsed since the liniment cake episode, <laughs> it was high time for her to get into fresh trouble of some sort. Little mistakes, such as absentmindedly emptying a pan of skim milk into a basket of yarn balls in the pantry instead of the pig's bucket. Oh, God. And walking clean over the ledge of the log bridge into the brook whilst wrapped in an imaginative reverie, not really being worth counting. <laughs> I don't know. Those are pretty funny. Those are pretty damn funny. A week after the tea at the manse, Diana Barry gave a party. Small and select, Anne assured Marilla, just the girls in our class. They had a very good time and nothing untoward happened, until after tea when they found themselves in the Barry garden, a little tired of all their games and ripe for any enticing form of mischief which might present itself. This presently took the form of daring. Mm. Daring was the fashionable amusement among the Avonlea small fry just then. It had begun among the boys, but soon spread to the girls, and all the silly things that were done in Avonlea that summer because the doers thereof were dared to do them would fill a book by themselves. <laughs> First of all, Carrie Sloan dared Ruby Gillis to climb to a certain point in the huge old willow tree before the front door, which Ruby Gillis, albeit in a mortal dread of the fat green caterpillars with which said tree was infested, and with the fear of her mother before her eyes if she should tear her new muslin dress, nimbly did, to the discomfiture of the aforesaid Carrie Sloan. Then Josie Pye dared Jane Andrews to hop on her left leg around the garden without stopping once or putting her right foot to the ground which Jane Andrews gamely tried to do, but gave out at the third corner and had to confess herself defeated. Josie's triumph being rather more pronounced than good taste permitted, and Shirley dared her to walk along the top of the board fence which bounded the garden to the east. Now to walk board fences requires more skill and steadiness of head and heel than one might suppose who has never tried it. But Josie Pye, if deficient in some qualities that make for popularity, had at least a natural and inborn gift duly cultivated for walking board fences. <laughs> it sounds so, like a formal, mil, like some sort of report. Josie walked the Barry fence with an airy unconcern, which seemed to imply that a little thing like that wasn't a dare. <laughs> Reluctant admiration greeted her exploit, for most of the other girls could appreciate it, having suffered many things themselves in their efforts to walk fences. Josie descended from her perch, flushed with victory, and darted a defiant glance at Anne. Anne tossed her red braids. I don't think it's such a very wonderful thing to walk a little low-board fence, she said. I knew a girl in Marysville who could walk the ridge pole of a roof. I don't believe it said Josie flatly. I don't believe anybody could walk a ridgepole. You couldn't, anyhow. Couldn't I? cried Anne rashly. Oh, no. Then I dare you to do it, said Josie defiantly. I dare you to climb up there and walk the ridgepole of Mr. Barry's kitchen roof. Anne turned pale. But there was clearly only one thing to be done. <laughs> she walked towards the house where a ladder was leaning against the kitchen roof. All the fifth-class girls said, Oh, partly in excitement, partly dismay. Don't you do it, Anne, entreated Diana. You'll fall off and be killed. Never mind, Josie Pye. It isn't a fair thing to dare anybody to do something so dangerous. I must do it. My honour is at stake, <laughs> said Anne solemnly. I shall walk that ridgepole, Diana, or perish at the attempt. If I am killed, you are to have my pearl bead ring. <laughs> My God, Anne. <laughs> the iron has entered my soul. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Anne climbed the ladder amid breathless silence, gained the ridgepole, balanced herself uprightly on that precarious footing, and started to walk along it. Dizzily conscious that she was uncomfortably high up in the world, and that walking ridgepoles was not a thing in which your imagination helped you out much. Nevertheless, she managed to take several steps before the catastrophe came. Then she swayed, lost her balance, stumbled, staggered, and fell, sliding down over the sun-baked roof and crashing off it through a tangle of Virginia creeper beneath, all before the dismayed circle below could give a simultaneous terrified shriek. Oh, damn. If Anne had tumbled off the roof on the side up which she had ascended, Diana would probably have fallen heir to the pearl bead ring then and there. 
Fortunately, she fell on the other side, where the roof extended down over the porch so nearly to the ground that to fall therefrom was a much less serious thing. Nevertheless, when Diana and the other girls had rushed frantically around the house, except Ruby Gillis, who remained as if rooted to the ground and went into hysterics, they found Anne lying all white and limp among the wreck and ruin of the Virginia Creeper. "'Anne, are you killed?' shrieked Diana, throwing herself on her knees beside her friend. "'Oh, Anne, dear, Anne, speak just one word to me and tell me if you are killed.' "'Okay, wait, what?' "'Tell me! Tell me, are you dead?' "'She's in shock.' "'Yes. "'To the immense relief of all the girls, and especially of... (laughs) "'To the immense relief of all the girls, and especially of Josie Pye, "'who, in spite of lack of imagination, "'had been seized with horrible visions of a future branded as the girl "'who was the cause of Anne Shirley's early and tragic death, "'Anne sat dizzily up and answered uncertainly. "'No, Diana, I am not killed.' but I think I am rendered unconscious. <laughs> where? sobbed Carrie Sloan. Oh, where, Anne? Before Anne could answer, Mrs. Barry appeared on the scene. At sight of her, Anne tried to scramble to her feet, but sank back again with a sharp little cry of pain. What's the matter? Where have you hurt yourself? demanded Mrs. Barry. My ankle, gasped Anne. Oh, Diana, please find your father and ask him to take me home. I know I can never walk there, and I'm sure I couldn't hop so far on one foot when Jane couldn't even hop around the garden. Marilla was out in the orchard, picking a panful of summer apples, when she saw Mr. Barry coming over the log bridge and up the slope, with Mrs. Barry beside him, and a whole procession of little girls trailing after him. In his arms he held Anne, whose head lay limply against his shoulder. Oh, no. At that moment, Marilla had a revelation. In the sudden stab of fear that pierced her very heart, she realized what Anne had come to mean to her. She would have admitted that she liked Anne, nay, that she was very fond of Anne, but now she knew, as she hurried wildly down the slope, that Anne was dearer to her than anything else on earth. We've gone from that tone of humor and silliness to just this beautiful... Right in the field. Sorry. Mr. Barry, what has happened to her? She gasped, more white and shaken than the self-contained, sensible Marilla had been for many years. Anne herself answered, lifting her head. Don't be very frightened, Marilla. I was walking the ridge pole and I fell off. I expect I might... Oh, God. The way she's saying it, sorry. It's it's nothing. I was just walking around the roof. and I was like... I expect I have sprained my ankle, but Marilla, I might have broken my neck. Let's look. (laughs) I'm sorry. Let's try that again. I expect I have sprained my ankle, but Marilla, I might have broken my neck. Let us look on the bright side of things. (laughs) Child. (laughs) I might have known you'd go and do something of the sort when I let you go to that party, said Marilla, sharp and shrewish in her very relief. Bring her in here, Mr. Barry, and lay her on the sofa. Mercy me, the child has gone and fainted. It was quite true. Overcome by the pain of her injury, Anne had one more of her wishes granted to her. She had fainted dead away. (laughs) Matthew, hastily summoned from the harvest field, was straightway dispatched for the doctor. Hugh in due time came to discover that the injury was more serious than they had supposed. Anne's ankle was broken. That night, when Marilla went up to the east gable, where a white-faced girl was lying, a plaintive voice greeted her from the bed. "'Aren't you very sorry for me, Marilla?' "'It was your own fault,' said Marilla, twitching down the blinds and lighting a lamp. "'And that is just why you should be sorry for me,' said Anne, "'because the thought that it is all my own fault is what makes it so hard. "'If I could blame it on anybody, I would feel so much better.' But what would you have done, Marilla, if you had been dared to walk a ridgepole? I'd have stayed on good firm ground and let them dare away. Such absurdity, said Marilla. Anne sighed. But you have such a strength of mind, Marilla. I haven't. I just felt that I couldn't bear Josie Pye's scorn. She would have crowed over me all my life. And I think I have been punished so much you needn't be very cross with me, Marilla. 
It's not a bit nice to faint, after all. And the doctor hurt me dreadfully when he was setting my ankle... Uh, ow. Nope. Mm. Yep, unpleasant. I won't be able to go around for six or seven weeks, and I'll miss the new lady teacher. She won't be new anymore by the time I'm able to go to school. And guilt... Uh, everybody will get ahead of me in class. Oh, I am an afflicted mortal. <laughs> But I'll try to bear it all bravely, if only you won't be cross with me, Marilla. There, there, I'm not cross, said Marilla. You're an unlucky child, there's no doubt about that, but as you say, you have the suffering of it. Here now, try and eat some supper. Isn't it fortunate I've got such an imagination, said Anne. It will help me through splendidly, I expect. What do people who haven't any imagination do when they break their bones, do you suppose, Marilla? Anne had good reason to bless her imagination many a time and oft during the tedious seven weeks that followed. But she was not solely dependent on it. She had many visitors, and not a day passed without one or more of the schoolgirls dropping in to bring her flowers and books and tell her all of the happenings in the juvenile world of Avonlea. Everybody has been so good and kind, Marilla, sighed Anne happily, on the day when she could first limp across the floor. It isn't very pleasant to be laid up. But there is a bright side to it, Marilla. You find out how many friends you have. Why, even Superintendent Bell came to see me, and he's really a fine man. Not a kindred spirit, of course, but I still like him, and I'm awfully sorry I ever criticized his prayers. I believe now he really does mean them, only he has got into the habit of saying them as if he didn't. He could get over that if he'd take a little bit of trouble. I gave him a good broad hint. <laughs> I told him how hard I'd tried to make my own little private prayers interesting. He told me about the time he broke his ankle when he was a boy. It does seem so strange to think of Superintendent Bell ever being a boy. Even my imagination has its limits, for I can't imagine that. When I was trying to imagine him as a boy, I see him with grey whiskers and spectacles just as he looks in Sunday school, only small. <laughs> now, it's so easy to imagine Mrs. Allen as a little girl. Mrs. Allen has been to see me 14 times. Isn't that something to be proud of, Marilla? When a minister's wife has so many claims on her time, she is such a cheerful person to have visit you too. She never tells you it's your own fault, and she hopes you'll be a better girl on account of it. Mrs. Lynde always told me that when she came to see me, and she said it in a kind of way that made me feel like she might hope I'd be a better girl, but she didn't really believe I would. <laughs> Even Josie Pye came to see me. I received her as politely as I could, because I think she was sorry she dared me to walk on a ridgepole. If I had been killed, she would have had to carry a dark burden of remorse all her life. Diana has been a faithful friend. She's been over every day to cheer my lonely pillow. But, oh, I shall be so glad when I can go to school, for I've heard such exciting things about the new teacher. The girls all think she is perfectly sweet. Diana says she has the loveliest fair curly hair and such fascinating eyes. She dresses beautifully, and her sleeves puffs are bigger than anybody else's in Avonlea. Every other Friday afternoon she has recitations, and everybody has to say a piece or take part in a dialogue. Oh, it's just glorious to think of it. Josie Pye says she hates it. But that is just because Josie has so little imagination. Diana and Ruby Gillis and Jane Andrews are preparing a dialogue called A Morning Visit for next Friday. And the Friday afternoons they don't have recitations. Miss Stacy takes them all to the woods for a field day and they study ferns and flowers and birds. And they have physical culture exercises every morning and evening. Mrs. Lynde says she never heard of such goings on. And it all comes from having a lady teacher. But I think it must be splendid. And I believe that I shall find that Miss Stacy is a kindred spirit. There's one thing plain to be seen, Anne, said Marilla, and that is that your fall off the barry roof hasn't injured your tongue at all. Ah, <laughs> uh, Marilla. Long suffering. Ooh. Yeah, I just got bitten by something. It's the joys of living in Australia, we get random bites in the middle of our podcast. Podcast. Um, so any thoughts on that chapter? I think Anne has got an interesting sense of honor. <laughs> um, but also, it's it's good. I mean, so far we're hearing good things about the teacher, Mrs. Stacy. Mm. 
Miss Stacy. Sorry, Miss Stacy. I'm just going to keep interchanging Miss and Mrs. is this thing. No, it's the thing that I've always gotten as well. Just, I think it's because no matter if they're married or unmarried, men are always referred to as Mr. I mean, they're supposed to be master for unmarried, but that's that was a lot more old-fashioned. So even me growing up, it was just Mr. for any Yeah, it's, it's, man. it's, it's just the... the, the so, so I always thought that with misses as well i knew there was the miss for i married and then there's the miss as it's well it's all just it, it, the titles are very confusing but um i like it's just i think you could tell just from what she's describing she's probably going to flourish with miss stacy hmm. i, I she also did have six weeks i also did like how um was it josie who dared her yeah, uh-huh. Josie. Josie is an interesting character. The pies are just pies. Everyone just accepts them for who they are. But but how um, there was that brief horror that she might be the girl who led to the death of Anne of Green Gables. Untimely death. And she's like, <laughs> no, I don't need this reputation. You know, not worried that she'd be dead, but what it would do to her. Like, well, well, no, no. I I read that more as a. You know, Anne is such a bright ray of sunshine that the whole town is kind of gungrated. I'd be the one to remove that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think she's, yes, the fact that she's actually quite popular because of the way she is. Yeah, that that too, it's double meaning, double meaning. But, um, so we're thinking we're going to do another chapter because yeah. it's, we want to know who Miss Stacy's about. A third chapter in an episode. <gasps> Why I this. never. <laughs> so chapter 24. Miss Stacy and her pupils get up a concert. It was October again when Anne was ready to go back to school, a glorious October, all red and gold with mellow mornings, when the valleys were filled with delicate mists as if the spirit of autumn had poured them in for the sun to drain, amethyst, pearl, silver rose, and smoke blue. The dews were so heavy that the fields glistened like cloth of silver, and there were such heaps of rustling leaves in the hollows of many-stemmed woods to run crisply through. The birch path was a canopy of yellow, and the ferns were sear and brown all along it. There was a tang in the very air that inspired the hearts of small maidens tripping, unlike snails, swiftly and willingly to school, and it was jolly to be back again at the little brown desk beside Diana, with Ruby Gillis nodding across the aisle and Carrie Sloane sending up notes, and Julia Bell passing a chew of gum down from the back seat. Anne drew a long breath of happiness as she sharpened her pencil and arranged her picture cards in her desk. Life was certainly very interesting. In the new teacher she found another true and helpful friend. Miss Stacy was a bright, sympathetic young woman with a happy gift of winning and holding the affections of her pupils and bringing out the best that was in them, mentally and morally. Anne expanded like a flower under this wholesome influence and carried home to the admiring Matthew and the critical Marilla glowing accounts of schoolwork and aims. I really like this concept of this kind of teacher and I think that's what the author is really trying to... If you're going to be a teacher, be this. (laughs) I love Miss Stacy with my whole heart, Marilla. She is so ladylike and she has such a sweet voice. When she pronounces my name, I feel instinctively that she's spelling it with an E. (laughs) We had recitations this afternoon. I just wish you could have been there to hear me recite Mary, Queen of Scots. I just put my whole soul into it. Ruby Gillis told me coming home that the way that I said the line, now for my father's arm, she said, my woman's heart farewell just made her blood run cold i just have to interject yeah this is my damage but because of being raised on monty python anytime i hear mary queen of scots i just instantly think of are you mary queen of scots i am oh dear well she's finally dead no not let's let's not let's not hurt poor mary i mean she 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 had her issues Well now, you might recite it for me some of these days out in the barn, suggested Matthew. Of course I will, said Anne meditatively. But I won't be able to do it so well, I know. It won't be so exciting as it is when you have the whole school full before you, hanging breathlessly on your words. I know I won't be able to make your blood run cold. Mrs. Lynn said it made her blood run cold to see the boys climbing to the very tops of those big trees on Bell's Hill after Crow's Nest last Friday said Marilla. I wonder at Miss Stacy for encouraging it. 
But we wanted a crow's nest for nature study, explained Anne. That was on our field afternoon. Field afternoons are splendid, Marilla, and Miss Stacy explains everything so beautifully. We have to write compositions on our field afternoons, and I write the best ones. It is very vain of you to say so, then. You better let your teacher say it. But she did say it, Marilla, and indeed I'm not vain about it. How can I be when I'm such a dunce at geometry? Although I'm really beginning to see through it a little, too. Miss Stacy makes it so clear. Still, I'll never be good at it, and I assure you it is a humbling reflection. But I love writing compositions. Mostly Miss Stacy lets us choose our own subjects, but next week we are to write a composition on some remarkable person. It's hard to choose among so many remarkable people who have lived. Mustn't it be splendid to be remarkable and have compositions written about you after you're dead? Oh, I would dearly love to be remarkable. I think when I grow up, I'll be a trained nurse and go to the Red Crosses to the field of battle as a messenger of mercy. That is, if I don't go out as a foreign missionary. That would be very romantic, but one would have to be very good to be a missionary, and that would be a stumbling block. We have physical culture exercises every day, too. They make you graceful and promote digestion. Promote fiddlesticks, said Marilla, who honestly thought it was all nonsense. But all the field afternoons and recitation Fridays and physical culture contortions paled before a project which Miss Stacy brought forward in November. This was that the scholars of Avonlea School should get up a concert and hold it in the hall on Christmas night for the laudable purpose of helping pay for a schoolhouse flag. The pupils, one and all, taking graciously to this plan, the preparations for a program were begun at once, and all of the excited performers, elect none, was so excited as Anne Shirley, who threw herself into the undertaking heart and soul, hampered as she was by Marilla's disapproval. Marilla thought it all rank foolishness. It's just filling your head up with nonsense and taking time that ought to be put in your lessons, she grumbled. I don't approve of children getting up concerts and racing about to practices. It makes them vain and forward and fond of gadding. Gadding. Like gadding? Gadding about running around yeah, yeah. with wastes, wasting time. Wasting time. time. <laughs> but think of the worthy object, pleaded Anne. A flag will cultivate a spirit of patriotism, Marilla. Fudge, there's precious little patriotism in thoughts of any of you. All you want is a good time. Well, when you can combine patriotism and fun, isn't it all right? Of course, it's real nice to be getting up a concert. We're going to have six choruses, and Diana is to sing a solo. I'm in two dialogues, the Society for the Suppression of Gossip and the Fairy Queen. The boys are going to have dialogue too, and I'm to have two recitations, Marilla. I just tremble when I think of it, but it is a nice thrilly kind of tremble. And we're to have a tableau of the last faith, hope, and charity. Diana and Ruby and I are to be in it, all draped in white with flowing hair. I am to be hope with my hands clasped so, and my eyes uplifted. I'm going to practice my recitations in the garret. Don't be alarmed if you hear me groaning. I have to groan heart-rendingly in one of them, and it's really hard to get up a good artistic groan, Marilla. Josie Pye is sulky because she didn't get a part she wanted in the dialogue. She wanted to be the fairy queen, but that would have been ridiculous. For who ever heard of a fairy queen as fat as Josie? Okay, there we go. There's some fat shaming. Great. No. Fairy queens must be slender. Jane Andrews is to be the queen, and I am to be one of her maids of honor. Josie says she thinks a red-headed fairy is just as ridiculous as a fat one, but I do not let myself mind what Josie says. I am to have a wreath of white roses on my hair, and Ruby Gillis is to lend me her slippers because I haven't any of my own. It's necessary for fairies to have slippers, you know. <laughs> you couldn't imagine a fairy wearing boots, could you? Especially with copper toes. We're going to decorate the hall with creeping spruce and fur mottoes with a pink tissue paper rose in them. And we are to all march in two by two after the audience is seated, while Emma White plays the march on the organ. Oh, Marilla, I know you are not so enthusiastic about it as I am, but don't you hope your little Anne will distinguish herself? All I hope is that you will behave yourself. I'll be heartily glad when this fuss is over and you'll be able to settle down. You are simply good for nothing just now with your head stuffed full of dialogues and groans and tableaus. As for your tongue, it's a marvel it's not clean worn out. Anne sighed and betook herself to the backyard. 
over which a young new moon was shining through the leafless poplar boughs from an apple-green western sky, and where Matthew was splitting wood. Anne perched herself on a block and talked the concert over with him, sure of an appreciative and sympathetic listener, in this instance at least. Well now, I reckon it's going to be a pretty good concert, and I expect you'll do your part fine, he said smiling down into her eager, vivacious little face. Anne smiled back at him. Those two were the best of friends, and Matthew thanked his stars many a time and off that he had nothing to do with bringing her up. <laughs> that was Marilla's exclusive duty. If it had been his, he would have been worried over frequent conflicts between inclination and said duty. As it was, he was free to spoil Anne, Marilla's phrasing, as much as he liked. But it was not such a bad arrangement after all. A little appreciation sometimes does quite as much good as all the conscientious bringing up in the world. Yep. The, both of them are very much needed for the raising of that child. Yep. She needs that gentleness and warmth and just feeling acknowledged and appreciated. Oh, dear. But a school play to earn money for a flag. I mean, Anne's not going to think of anything. <laughs> yeah, no, this is like... She's excited and she's very focused. And um, she's got good parts. Yes, she's got good parts, but that's because, well, we knew she was, she was talented. That, mm. was, that was clear. Um, now, it's interesting that the, the chapter ends on Matthew because the title of the next one is Chapter 25, Matthew Insists on Puffed Sleeves. So, so we have to remember in summation, he's allowed to spoil her as much as he wishes. And usually when he... He raises his foot to Marilla. She acquiesces. Yeah, he goes, I want to do this. No, maybe oh. we should do this. She should do this. Although the last time. It uh, backfired. Yes, it did. And Marilla had, had a big I told you so at him. Well, it's not like he could have predicted she would jump on someone on the bed. <laughs> it's kind of hard to predict. <laughs> No, oh, no, no, but she knew Anne would get into trouble. She just didn't know how. And now it was concerts Anne, lead to being to jumping on a great aunt. Well, I mean, Anne has a special gift of getting in trouble. She has a talent. A talent for, for, for uh, challenging situations. Oh, but it's part of what makes her so delightful. Absolutely. Now, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. It'll be great. And we just had three chapters. I imagine that... Now, two things could happen. One is this Christmas concert could take up a good chunk of the rest of the book. We still have quite a ways to go. Mm. Or it could just be like the next chapter or two, and then we move on to something else. Most likely. I, like, I, there, there are things, many things that happen. It's a great, like, it's kind of, it gives us a little glimpse into the, how they think and how they feel. It's a bit sad that the, the like, the fixation on people's appearance is still there. But that's, I guess, also Anne. Mm -hmm. She is a product of that fixation because that's all she's ever encountered. People twitting her for her, her skinniness or mm -hmm. twitting her for her red hair or her freckles and that she's evil and that she has so much yeah. original sin. So all these things. Marilla's even brought it up. You know, you're, you're too fixated on your own appearance. You're I'm worried you're, you're going to become vain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that she's. I, I wonder how much of that is because of the fact that she was her appearance was why she's been picked on, and also told that she. I mean, also maybe her propensity towards getting into scrapes probably doesn't help. Yeah. No. No. Well, I mean, and this is the era of. I think we brought it up before the whole idea that children should be seen and not heard. Well, we saw this. Like, Marilla's trying in the previous chapter. She's like, she's trying to get her to calm down and stay like this moderately, this even keel the entire time, which goes completely against Anne's nature. And, and it's not like Anne doesn't want to please Marilla and work towards that. She tries. She tries. But she's is, Anne. She is who she is. And I think... It's in, I like the fact that the author does that. The author really emphasizes that you cannot shift the nature. And what they do instead is they'll say that, oh, well, some people have got a bit more original sin than others, and some are just born good and some aren't. And that's also not helpful. It's also not constructive. Uh, and that one sentence that she said, but isn't, shouldn't the trying count for something? 
Now, there's an old Calvin and Hobbes strip about that where he's talking about, you know, every time Christmas happens, he goes into this big, oh, how do I trick Santa into thinking I've been good this year? Actually, Calvin's very much like Anne. He's obviously got ADD or something of that nature. He's always getting he's into trouble. He's full of energy. He's full of beans. His imagination is just off the charts. Yeah. And, you know, so he's like, I don't think it should count the same. Like, what about some little do-gooder who is just being good out of the uh, kindness of his own heart it's easy for him to be good for santa whereas i have to actually try sure i failed but shouldn't the trying count i should get much more presents <laughs> <laughs> what was this this uh, the desire for reward and the fear of hell yeah no <laughs> but it yeah these kind of things like it it it's and they're really quite deep topics that start getting they don't go into into too much depth like there's not too much depth there's just enough for you to kind of go huh so this is how people like and this would have been a reflection how children were talked to mm-hmm. i mean she would have had probably more more of a switch um yeah, there would have been a lot more corp, corp, corporal mrs lynn's way yeah mrs lynn's way so it's it's unusual for that balance between marilla and matthew mm. um so she's in the right home that's for sure yeah but yeah, she's, and it's nice to see how her, her love for learning and sharing and, and the fact that she's got, she's got something that keeps her humble. Like she just doesn't do well with geometry. Well, she's starting to get the hang of it because the new teacher explains it better. Yes, there is that. But I think she's like, I will never, I will never be passionate about this subject. <laughs> but she's also had a string of luck. She's, there's a new minister with a new minister's wife who she likes very much. There's now a new teacher who she likes yep. very much. The town itself, you know, she's, she's happy. And also the people, like the, the girls like her. She gets along mm. with people. Interesting how Gilbert has not been mentioned for a bit. Oh no no! She, she almost up. she almost mentioned him many times in yeah, those she, chapters. Yeah, she starts and then she stops and she starts. <laughs> I love that stops. that's kept up. Yeah, yeah. So she's still the steel has still entered her soul. <laughs> she's so dramatic. It's adorable. Oh well, we we just had a lovely afternoon with Anne. Yes. And wherever you're listening to this, we hope you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, please let us know what you think of the podcast. What you think of Anna Green Gables? If you're in, Join yourself. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. You can find me at Rue, R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. So Rue McMoo. And we have a Twitter and a Facebook page, which are at SMBSLT podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at SMBSLT podcast at gmail.com. Now, the music at the top of the program was Avonlea by Haygood Hardy. And at the end of the program is I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. And, and we hope that you enjoy a beverage of choice, such as tea, just as Anne did the beginning of these three chapters that we read. Seeing that it is the afternoon, tea sounds lovely. Might partake in that myself. So... We hope you're enjoying your reading, and until next time, goodbye, everyone. Bye.